Hi, good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. Uh, glad for you guys that are joining us online. So a couple things about the class piece of it. So with the class piece of it, you can get a lot of different information. You can go online. So I'm not going to go in depth to what each individual class is and or what you should be doing with it. I want you to think more who should be in the class, right? Because I think that's always the question when you're sitting here and uh, you're looking at this, should I do it, should I not do it? So here's what I would just ask you to think through. Should I be in a class? So if you're not in community right now, um, in some sort of a way, getting to know people at Life Church and or getting an opportunity to invest into people at Life Church, I would say it's a great opportunity for you to do it. Whether or not, you know, this is the, the key thing, whether or not you need the class, right? Because I've always said, if life is going to go right, you're always going to have people that um, are going to always be investing down. So I've said this, like, one of the greatest things that you can do as a parent who doesn't have kids is invest into to parents who do have kids, right? You made it, right? You made it through. You, you know, you, you fought the battle and you have some scars and you can go back and you can help those people, you know, uh, journey through those things. So it's not always like, do I take intentional parenting because I have kids, but maybe take intentional parenting because you could build a relationship with the younger family to be able to say, I could help you, right? And I can help you journey through this. So the same with Crown Financial. It doesn't mean that, you know, you need help with your finances, but what would it look like to be able to journey alongside of somebody else? Because here's what we know. Classes are only classes. They're information, right? Life change only happens through relationship. That's just the way that it works. I mean, you can take any class that you want. I've taken a lot of them with a lot of information that I don't remember, right? Like, but when you're in relationship with somebody who helps you journey down that road, it tends to change the things in your life. So that would be my recommendation. These are not only to help you with some uh, vital tools, but also to get into relationships. So Think about that as you're going to be able to decide whether you're going to be in class or not. There is a sign-up sheet as you walk out the door or as you're walking in the door, you saw it, so there'll be an opportunity to sign up there. If you have more questions, let us know. All right, so we're in this new series called Amplified. I forgot to say this last week, but this series concept came from Louis Giglio. Some of you guys might know him, but he had done, you know, some, some talks around this, this whole idea, and so I listened to him, and I thought, now, this is something that makes a lot of sense, and so I wanted to bring it to you guys and highlight it in, in our context to help us understand this idea of amplified voices in our world tend to get attention, right? So the loudest voice tends to get the attention. And loud voices in our lives tend to change over time, right? Sometimes certain things are louder than others. Sometimes life circumstances make somebody's voice amplified that should never be amplified. But what happens is the louder the voice, usually the more it drowns out the voice of God, because this is what we talked about last week. So the voice of God is a whisper. The voice of the world is a scream, right? Like when you listen to the voices of the world, they tend not to have a problem being loud because here's, here's what we know about today's society. And you know this because this is how everybody's making money on social media, Right? The reason that people are making millions of dollars through social media right now, the reason that people want you on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, is because the new commodity of the world is attention. Right? That's the new commodity. 
Like the new exchange of money is, if I can get your attention long enough, then I can extrapolate what I want from you. So the whole idea of social media or the whole idea of marketing and the whole idea of those things is, how can I get your attention? So that's what people are trying to do. So we know that commodity. So we know right now there's a lot of voices that are trying to get your attention. And we also know that the voice of God is also trying to get your attention, but he was not in the earthquake and he wasn't in the fire Remember last week when we talked about this? He's not in the earthquake and the fire, but he's in a gentle whisper. And it's really hard to hear a gentle whisper when there's a lot of voices going on. So we have to train ourselves, one, to be able to hear that. So each week we're going to be able to look at, so what are some voices that are amplified? And each week we're going to talk about not only why are they amplified, but what's the answer? So if God's voice is amplified above those, what is the answer that we can push that forward and understand that voice of God louder than the voice of the world? So we're going to look at today religion, right? So the voice of religion. Now, I think at times this gets a little bit confused with people when I say religion because, like, when I'll be talking to somebody, you know, that hasn't been in church for a while and they've, like, started to come to church and, you know, or you talk to somebody that's looked at somebody else that started to come to church and they said, like, they got religion, you know, or I got religion, like, it's a good thing, right? So I'm going to help you understand or unpack this idea of how religion, based upon the idea of what we're going to talk about in Scripture today, is not a good thing, right? And how religion has corrupted a lot of things. Now, the reason I want to talk about this is, one, Baptism Sunday is coming up. So here's my hope for today, just so you understand the message of today. So the message of today is for anybody in this room or on uh, line with us to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ the way it was intended to be. So if you are in a place where you're saying, you know what, I'm really not sure where I'm at. I'm really not sure that my, you know, that, that I'm secure in my relationship. Like if somebody asked me if I came to the end of my life, are you sure that you are going to spend eternity with Christ? This is an opportunity for you to look at what Scripture says so you can make a decision. Like this is the gospel of Jesus Christ compared to maybe what the world has corrupted it to be. Like sometimes it's got confused of what the church made or the world made. Uh, a relationship with Christ looked like. So we're going to look at what Scripture says. And if you've already given your life to Jesus Christ and you already understand all of these things, this is an opportunity for you to remember where you came from and don't forget there are other people that need what you have. Right? Because it's easy sometimes to forget once you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're always so focused on yourself and getting yourself better and doing things that you forget somebody else needs what you have. Right? So we forget about that, those people. Now, the reason that I think we have to have this talk is if you would go and talk to people on this whole expectation, because this is where religion comes in. Religion comes in when people are trying to please God, right? Like they, they won't say it that it's that way or make God happy, but like you'll go into certain churches and, and you'll see that there is a dress code that's supposed to, like they won't say the dress code is supposed to make God happy then why would you wear that? Like nobody, I mean, why would you do those things unless you think that this is something that if I do this, it's a representation of something God is pleased with me because I did something for him. Does that make sense? Or clear back to the, like you would go into some churches where some, you know, people are allowed to wear makeup and earrings and 
necklaces or whatever those things are. And then there's the other churches where, like, if you had makeup on and your hair down, you know, Jezebel we talked about a few weeks ago would be like, in walk Jezebel. You know, like, I'm just saying, how, how does it get to that, right? Like, how do we ever get to those places where somebody could interpret not wearing makeup and, you know, uh, earrings and letting your hair down could be like God wouldn't want it? And how would we get to the place where God would want this? It all comes out of this idea of, well, if I do these things, it surely has to make God happy, right? It surely has to please him. Or the one time I tell this story, uh, we were talking about religion one time, and I've always wanted to get a tattoo, but I'm a chicken because I hate needles, and I'm really afraid that if I go in there that I might cry in front of somebody because, of, <laughs> because like, I don't even go to the doctor and get shots unless I'm dying, you know? So, I mean, the, I'm a deathly afraid of needles. I always want to get a tattoo. So I've told people that, and there have been people that have been like, oh, like, do you know, like, if you preach from the front with a tattoo, there ain't going to be people to listen to you. So I'm like, well, that'll be fun. So I went and got a tattoo sleeve and put it on. And for people that didn't know me, came in for the first time, and I'm preaching with this sleeve on. And I talked to some people afterwards, and they didn't know that it wasn't real. Like, I don't know if they don't know anything about tattoos, but it, I don't think you could get that whole thing in a week. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't know a lot about tattoos, but I'm pretty sure from the wrist to your shoulder, I don't, I don't think you could get that done. And they said, until we saw you take it off, we were going to have to leave the church. And I'm like, that's just a good indication you probably should, you know, like... <laughs> Because if you got so hung up on this idea that you could not hear the voice of Christ through somebody's tattoo, like we've missed it. You know what I mean? Like you're missing the idea. But why? Why? Because it's not this like one person's right and one person's wrong. The issue is, is there's this competing thing where inside of each one of us, we've determined a preconceived or a preset notion that if we do these things, these are going to please God. And if I do these things, it's going to make him happy. And if I do these things, ultimately, it's going to ensure that you go to heaven, right? I mean, listen, you can talk to people and you can say, like, if you walked up to you today and I asked you this question, here's a question for you. If today was your last day, are you going to stand in front of Jesus Christ and be ushered into the kingdom of God and are the angels going to be celebrating? And they look at them and they're like, I hope I've done enough. Then we've missed it, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ has no power when your answer is, I hope I've been good enough and I hope I've done enough because that isn't the answer. Right? So we gotta, we got to work through that, I think. And when, you, when I say that, I'm not even saying it's your fault because sometimes this is what's happened in religion. The church has used religion to control people, right? Like if we can keep you under control by making you feel guilty and doing good things because we're making you feel guilty, it's way easier to run a church than just saying, like it's the grace of Jesus Christ and the one that's in control of you is Jesus and not us. Right? Like, that's way more difficult than standing up here saying, well, if you don't do and you don't do and you don't do, you're going to hell. And then people out there are like, okay, I'll do it, you know. That, that's way different compared to, like, you need to work out your salvation in fear and trembling with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with what. You should never feel guilty from anything any preacher says. Right? Like, that's not the way that it's supposed to work. All of those things come from the Holy Spirit. So, Goal of today, 
If you don't know the true gospel of Jesus Christ, we're going to listen to it, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to hear what it has to say. And if religion has been amplified in your life, because I know a lot of people's history of where they've come from, like it's, a lot of times you've come from a background where religion was amplified and all you know is religion, right? And so if that's been amplified, we're going to talk, talk about the true gospel today and we're going to have an opportunity for us to see it and an opportunity for you to accept it, right? Not just to hear it, but this is a chance for you today to make a decision where I've heard something, but I know now it's true, so we're praying for that. Or for you that has done it, even for us at times that have accepted Jesus Christ, sometimes we get corrupted into the purest of what salvation is, and religion creeps in, so it's a time for you to remember what you were given through Jesus Christ and remember what we should do with it. Are we good? All right, so if you have a Bible, turn to Acts 17. So that's where we're going to start today. And in Acts 17, we're going to be talking about Paul, who was going to talk, you know, to a bunch of different philosophers. Now, one of the cool things was, I was telling Michelle this before the service, I went back because Lexi went overseas and uh, spent some time in Spain uh, so that she could uh, do Spanish as a second language as a teacher. And so we were going to drop her off there. Well, at the same time, we just kind of did a European tour. And one of the things that we did is try to follow some of the footsteps of Paul. So we had an opportunity to go to Mars Hill, which is where we're going to be talking about today. So in the Areopagus where he talked, it's still there. And so I stood in and on Mars Hill and read Acts 17, you know, the exact thing of what he was talking about today as he would have wrote it compared to, which was pretty powerful, right, to stand in the place that Paul had stood and pen the words that we're going to write today, but the audio obviously wasn't very good, but it was a cool experience because to get your mind wrapped around what was happening at Mars Hill. So religion in our world today isn't new. Religion's been happening forever, right? So the, the amplification of the voice of religion has been happening forever, and even then, back then on Mars Hill, it was more prevalent that people not only did have religion and they attached it to a god, there were multiple gods that everybody was trying to, to please, right? So back to anybody into like Greek mythology and understanding all of the gods or even heard about Greek mythology and all of the gods. So back then at the Areopagus was a bunch of philosophers that would sit around and their ideas, they're the smartest people in the city, they were the elders of the city, and they were going to sit around and they looked at all of these statues of these gods, and they were trying to figure out how do we please him, and 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 how do we set up systems inside of our city, because you surely don't want this god to be mad at you, right? Because if this god's mad at you, this is how it's going to affect the city. So they would talk about it. And then in Mars Hill, there was this one place, and this is how religion works, just to make sure you never miss out. So it was this god, and this god, and this god, and this god, and maybe we forgot a god, so there's the unknown god. You know what I mean? That's how religion works, because you're afraid you're going to miss out, so you just try to cover all of your bases, you know, to make it work. And so it was all of these different gods, and there was a statue to the unknown God. And so Paul steps in and Paul and, and he steps into an environment where religion, like what we're talking about, how do you please gods and how do you keep them happy, where it was the forefront and this was his message. Listen to what he says. This is Acts 17 starting in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For I've walked around and even looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of everything you worship, and that is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Now, again, try to get yourself or put yourself, like you've never understood anything about a God like this, right? And Paul just says, you know all those gods that you're worshiping? They're all worthless, right? And so he's saying, so what I, what I want to help you guys understand is this was jaw-dropping to the people when he came in and confronted them with this idea that, all of these other gods you've been worshiping are worthless, and you need to understand what the one true God is. I said, so you're ignorant of everything that you worship, and that is what I'm going to proclaim. And this is what he proclaimed. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, again, if you were a, somebody into Greek mythology, would you think that the Lord of the heavens would have ever been the unknown God? No, I mean, you would, have, you would have already had that established in Greek mythology, who the people that were calling down the lightning, who are the people that are calling down the rain. You would have understand that the sun rises because there's a sun god, right? You would have understand that, you know, crops being watered had something to do with the god of those things. And so he's saying, no, there's one who covers it all in that he says, um, the God who made uh, the world and everything in it, the lords of heavens and earth, does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands, and if he needs, uh, as if he needed anything, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out this appointed, uh, appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of you, some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring, therefore. Since we are God's offspring, and remember, therefore in scripture means we need to do something about it. So therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or a stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed, the man that he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Amen. Right? Like he gets to the end of this and he just throws out and blows up their complete structure of religion. But he also points out, you know why religion is so prevalent? Because he says inside of the soul of every man, God gave this intuitive or innate thing that would say, I want you to reach out for something. Did you see that when he said that? He's like, I want you, maybe let me just read it again. So he says, God did this. Uh, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he's not very far from any of us. So he made us to reach for something. Right? Like, he made us. Do you know why there's so many gods? Do you know why so many things are worshipped? Because inside of you is this thing that says, I need to worship something. Right? So that's in there. So if you don't know who God is, you will create a God to give you answers. Does that make sense? Right? Because it's inside of you. But here's what he says, and this is so cool. So if you are in a place where you're trying to figure out Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you've been reaching out, and you've been trying to figure out, and it... It's not wrong. 
Right? So anybody that tells you researching and looking and processing and trying to understand isn't wrong, but just so you know, right, this is what he says. If you truly reach for God, he's not far from you. Isn't that cool? Like it's not like, man, I've been searching and I can't ever find God. And Paul says, listen, he made it so you're going to reach, but he didn't put himself out of reach, which is, tends to be what religion does to a lot of people. They make God out of reach because you can never get there. You know why I can't get there? You're not good enough. Let me tell you why you're not good enough. Let me talk about your past. Let me talk about your present. Let me talk about, you know what I mean? And they put all these things together and they make it as if God is far away and God says, no, I'm right here, right? And so why is religion so prevalent then and why is it now? It's because he put inside of each one of us this desire to reach out, but each one of us forgot to reach for him who's close and we're reaching for things that can never be attained, Right, that's what happens. You reach and you reach and you can't get and you keep pursuing and you keep reaching and you can't get and, and God's like five feet away and if you would just turn and reach, he's right there. Right, so that's hope for any of you here today that have been reaching and not being able to find and you wanna know God's right beside you, you just gotta turn and understand and don't let anybody, okay, because I know this can happen. Anybody that's told you that because of your lifestyle, you're not worthy to reach out and grab him is a liar and a fool. And they don't understand the gospel. Should we say that one again? Because I want to make sure you get that one. You know what I mean? Because how many people have spent their entire life condemning other people when we're in the same boat? Right? We're all in the same boat, but somehow we've made God distant because we gave him a list that would say, as long as you do the list, you can reach him. But if you never do the list, like... Get your life right and then go to church. Get your, right, your life right. Fix these problems and then Jesus is going to be so happy with you when you stop drinking. So happy with you when you stop doing. So happy with you when you got your life right. And I'm like, Judas Priest, we've missed it. Right? Like, we've missed it. He says, I'm right there. Turn from the things that you'll never get because it doesn't matter how much you reach. And we're going to see this here in a little bit. It doesn't matter how much you reach for these things you're never going to obtain, right? You're never going to be good enough. Like if you think all of these things are going to get you in the right place, they're never going to be. And he's saying like, I'm right here, just reach over here, okay? So some hope for all of us who've been condemned by the world to say we're not good enough and God's far away, but he'll come closer if you get it right is untrue and a lie, okay? So that's why, and Paul preaches this message and he blows it all up for each one of them because he's saying to them, the system that you have created is completely wrong. The system that you created, the idea and the ideology that you put together is wrong. So now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you four, possibly five things to help you understand what religion is, okay? And then we're going to talk about what the true gospel is because we have to identify, first of all, when somebody says religion, what are they talking about and why should we shy away from religion and go more towards the gospel, Okay, so here's the first thing. So here's the first thing about the, the goals of religion, to get in right standing with God. The goal of religion is to get in right standing with God. Cut your hair a certain way, don't cut your hair a certain way. Wear certain clothes, don't wear certain clothes. Behave a certain way, don't behave a certain way. You know what I mean? Like there's this list of things and these lists of things and again, it's different. This is why I say it's so different for everybody because it depends who gave you the list. <laughs> you might have grown up in a home where your list was small or you might have grown up in a home that that list is big. 
You know what I mean? Like they put this long list of stuff together and it was like, you're going to be good when you're this, like when you get all of these things right. And so religion for you or this idea of the goal of if you do these things, then God's going to accept you or God's going to, you want to make sure that you get it right. So if you live with this angst, okay, listen to me. If you're living with this angst of, I don't know that if I'm good enough, I don't know that I've done enough. It's because your list is, is not out of the, outside of the normal because that's what religion does to each one of us. Religion makes us put together a list because there's nothing wrong with wanting to be in right standing with God. Okay, so let's make sure that I don't push away this idea that we're going to see it here in the gospel. That go, those goals are the same. You should have a desire to be in right standing with God because if you're not, the alternative is bad. Yes, thank you. Like the alternative of not being in right standing with Jesus Christ, with God, is separation from him in relationship and eternity separated from him in a place called hell. Those things are real, so we have to make sure this desire that that says I want to be in right standing isn't a wrong desire. It's only when you try to meet it with what we're going to talk about next, which is the predication or what we do to get into that right standing is predicated on the good works of man, okay? So this is what we know about religion. Religion is like a scale. And if you've ever studied Islam before, you would understand this really well, right? If you are involved in Islam, in a lot of different religions, this is how they look at it. Now, the the determination, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or different religions inside of it, the, how it all turns out is a little bit different, but it's all predicated on a scale, right? And the scale is good works, bad works, okay? Just make sense? So good works, bad works. You put your good works on one side and your bad works on the other side, and when you die, let's hope your good works outweighed your bad works and the scale tips in your favor. And if the scale tips in your favor, you're good and you're in. If the scale doesn't tip in your favor, you're in trouble. People always ask, why is it that somebody in, the, in Islam would be a suicide bomber? Why would somebody fly a plane into buildings? Well, it's simple. They already knew the scales were tipped in the wrong direction. You know the only way in Islam to tip the other scale? Jihad. Kill yourself and you automatically get in. If you were struggling, if you were wondering, if you knew what hell was like and the only way to tip the scale was going to be do this, You might fly a plane in a building, right? You might do some of those things because if you, if religion was so deeply ingrained in you that you're getting to the end of your life and you're trying to decide and somebody's told you, you're never going to be able to tip the scale and they tell you what hell is like, you might try to tip the scale. And the only way to assuredly make that happen is the good works of man, you know, and it's the same thing that the church has done way too often. The church is saying, we look at people like When we preach the gospel, it never fails. I will get messages after this to be like, but you got to tell them the other side of the story. They got to also be a good person. I'm like, listen, we're preaching the gospel. Oh, I know, but you got to tell them to be a good person. Is that in the gospel? Is it in the gospel? You're going to see it in a second if you didn't know. That's not in the gospel. Being a good person has nothing to do with the favor of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with what is done. And when they, what, but they can't, they don't want their kids to hear that they might be able to be bad and still be saved. 
that's what it's because it's usually a lot of moms that come to me afterwards. I'm like, I wish my kids wouldn't have sat in it. Now I feel like they're just going to feel like they can do all these things. And I'm like, you've missed the gospel. The gospel is not that. Their salvation, as hard as it is to believe, is not predicated on the good works of man. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. But religion tends to want all of us to just be like, but look at the things that I've done. And, you know, like I've, I've worked really hard and I've done all these things. The reason that people struggle with deathbed confessions, you ever heard people struggle with this? Like somebody gave their life to Jesus Christ on their deathbed. And they were like, can that person really be saved? Like I've been doing this my entire life and it's been so hard. And then, I mean, is that really fair? And I'm like, Judas, you've missed the gospel. So any of you guys that were like, I can't believe those suckers got out so easy. You know, like they, you know, all they had to do is, pre- all they had to do is accept Jesus Christ. And then now they were saved. And I'm like, yes, yes. And they're like, well, this has been so long and I've been struggling. I said, you know why you're struggling? Because you've missed the gospel, right? You've missed the idea that no matter how much you do for the rest of your life, and I don't care how big it is, your right standing with God, we're going to see this in a second, was never predicated on no matter how much you've done so that you don't have to puff, your, puff yourself up. So don't religious people that have been in, you know, been in church forever and they, you know, they're, they're better than you, like, we're going to find out they're really not. And it's, that's so good, you know, in the eyes of God, that's good. So predicated on the works of man. There's also a system that they put together that's based upon a dead teacher, right? So the system that was put together for religion, if you look at Muhammad, if you look at Buddha, if you look at any type of religious system, it's based upon a teacher that is dead, Right, And we're going to see the difference in that in the gospel. But religion is based upon or predicated on those things. And the outcome, right, the outcome, if you're in religion, the outcome is always uncertain. There is no certainty in religion, right, because are you really good enough? Because don't you always ask yourself this question, how good is good enough? Right? Like how good is good enough? You know how people determine how good is good enough? (laughs) They look over and they're like... I'm better than that sucker. <laughs> right? You never done that? You never like, I'm just, I'm like, if you're like, you're going to compare, I'm, I'm not him. I mean, I know I'm not him, but who's really him anyway? Right? I'm just way better than him. You know, that's what I'm saying when it, this whole idea, when you're uncertain, you, you put this parameter around it like, well, at least I'm better than these people. And then these people are like, well, at least I'm better than these people. That's what you do when your destination is uncertain. You start comparing yourself to other people, right? So that you can put some certainty that as long as I'm better than, so the benchmark in your life becomes, well, as long as I'm better than this person, I'm good. And then that benchmark goes back and forth. You track and right? that all change when it's uncertain. All right. So, now here's the struggle. So for everybody, okay, so everybody that would have been that parent, like, and you can still talk to me afterwards or anybody that would be like, when you preach the gospel of grace, it's just so hard because I feel like you're just giving people a license to sin and you're just thrown out at all. We're going to help you through that transition because the law does have a place in the gospel, okay? So when you look at the law or the law that was given, it has a place in understanding the gospel because you can't just throw it out, right? You can't just say, well, the grace of Jesus Christ and then throw out all of the things that he told you to do and to be and not pay attention to him at all. It's just that it has a place. It's just not, its place is not in salvation. Is that, 
We're still all on the same page. Are you getting bored yet? Because <laughs> I'm worried like this was going to take a while. So I'll make sure I speed it up. All right. So here's the next thing. Matthew 5 helps us understand this. So this is the Sermon of the Mount. So he says, don't think that I have come, this is Jesus, to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by uh, any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others according will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, right standing, surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And anybody that just listened to that, you need to listen to a couple different things, right, that that really needs to uh, stand out to you. So when he says, The righteousness, if your righteousness, right standing, does not surpass the most religious people in the audience, you're not getting in. Then we should all ask, then who's going to make it? That's what you should ask. Like, you should sit there and say, if the bar, right, the, the bar, the bar of getting in is perfection, right standing, Okay, because that's the bar. For you to enter into heaven, there's a bar. The bar is perfection. The bar is right standing. You can't stand in front of a holy God with sin in your life. Right? Can't stand in front of a holy God with sin in your life. And I know you're not sure whether to shake your head, but I'm gonna, you're going to be shaking your head here in a little bit. Right? So if you were looking at that and truly reading this verse, you would sit there and say, oh boy, we got problems. Because I just sinned like an hour ago. You know what I mean? Like, this could be a real problem. Like, there's no possible way if you looked at my life and you, and you knew my thoughts and you watched some of my actions, and if the standard is, right standing is perfection, and the idea is I got to be better than the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had the whole Bible memorized, and I mean, the letter of the law. If I have to do all those things, we're in trouble, right? But do you remember what he says in the beginning? I didn't come to get rid of it, but to fulfill it. That's the key. You hear me? Like, that's the key of the gospel. You're right. It didn't come to get rid of it, right? He didn't come to wipe it out, but he says, you can't fulfill it by doing it on your own. Does that make sense? So all these laws, he's saying, you can try to live them out. You can try to do them because they're good, and we're going to see this here in a little bit. The laws that were given us inside of Scripture are good for us because you know why? They're wisdom. It helps us understand how to live in such a way that we don't get off the rails, Right? Like the idea of reading scripture and it says like this is what you should care about and this is what you should do and you should probably do this. Like the, when the Bible says these things, it does it so that our, our life doesn't end up in the ditch. Right? Like that's where the lost place is because it gives us an idea of two things. One, how to, how to live with wisdom and two, to remember you're a sinner. Like anybody that's going to read, like this is why when you you look at the Ten Commandments and people are like, oh yeah, I can do the Ten Commandments. Until he says this. Remember this one? Guys, you ready for this? He says, don't commit adultery. And we're all like, thank the Lord I haven't done that one yet. You know, and then it says, well, and if you've lusted after a woman, like in your thoughts, doesn't even mean you have any actions. You're an adulterer. So join the club, man. 
Whether you want to admit it or not, in the letter of the law, if you've lusted at any point after another woman, and come on, guys, I know you don't want to say it next to your wife, but you have, right? Like some of those things have happened, you know, is the one look and then the second look and the second look not getting away, right? That's the way that it works. Lust goes in those directions. So he says, you know what? You're an adulterer. Right? Or if you went to bed angry and you couldn't get anger out of you and, you, and you, you wouldn't forgive because you're angry, you're just like a murderer. Like, does that help put it in perspective? Like, you can't, there's 600 and some laws, you can't do 10. <laughs> right? Does that help us put it in perspective of what he's trying to say when we get to these places where, again, it's not wrong for us to understand and live by and strive for the Ten Commandments, right? You hear me? Don't hear me say don't. You need to do that. But the Ten Commandments makes us aware of our need for a Savior. Because you are never going to get in right standing by trying to do it by yourself or upholding or being a good person. If you want to answer the question, how good is good enough, you can never be good enough on your own. That's what he was trying to say. That's what he was trying to get us to understand inside of this. So here is, now let's look at the gospel real quick. So here's what the gospel says. Same thing. We all want to be in right standing. Right? We all want to get in right standing with God because we know right standing is the place to be. So there should be, if you're going to accept and understand the gospel, there should be a desire inside of you to ask this question. What does it take to get into right standing? Right? What does it take to get into right standing with God? If it's not the law, then what is it, and how can I get to that place? Well, that's the uh, next piece that we go to. In religion, it's predicated on the works of man. In the gospel, it's predicated on the work of one man. In a way that you get in right standing with God, you know why? When you stand in front of him, you can stand perfect and unblemished, regardless if you died in your life with sin regardless if you've died with unforgiven sin. You know why you can stand in perfection in front of God and he can look at you and declare you righteous and perfect? Because he sees the blood of Jesus Christ covering you and not you. Like that's something you should be excited about. <laughs> right? I mean, I am so thankful because I'm a screw-up by nature, I'm so thankful that when I stand in front of Jesus Christ that my unforgiven sin or the sin in my life or the places that I've messed up, that because of what one man did for me, I can stand in right standing and he can say to me, not well done, good and faithful servant for anything that I have done, but because of what you have done for me. I mean, that just is like, oh. That should make each one of us in the understanding of the gospel to truly get the difference between religion and the gospel and understand what he wants from each one of us. The other one is, and, and again, it's based upon a teacher that's still alive and that should mean something to you. When you read the Bible, the reason the Bible is the living word of God is because he's still living. Jesus Christ alive because he defeated death. No other prophet who put laws together is in heaven and still alive and defeated death. All of the other prophets are in the grave regardless of what you want to look up, try to research, try to figure out. The one who defeated death. And this isn't a mystery that I tell everybody. I'll do this with you. 
This is historical. This is eyewitness proof. This isn't something somebody is saying. This is something that somebody has seen. This isn't somebody, some myth that somebody talks about. There are eyewitness accounts in history that saw Jesus die on a cross, raised from the dead, and come back in human form. And they said, like these people who wouldn't have believed, believed because he defeated death. And that's important in the gospel of Jesus Christ to understand those things. The next one is this, that your eternal outcome is secure. And I know, you know, when you struggle with religion, when I say this, when people give their life to Jesus Christ, I always ask this question, can you sin your way out of the favor of God? You know how many people are like, well, I know, you know, this one person, and I thought about it, and they, you know, they gave their life to Jesus Christ, and then they did these things, and then I don't know if they're still saved. And Listen to me. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ and it's predicated on the work of one man who did something that you could not do and you accept that and that blood covers you and you stand in front of Jesus not based upon what you have done but based upon what he has done, do we really want to ask the question, can you send yourself out of the favor of God? You didn't get into the favor of God by not sinning. You can't get out of the favor of God by sinning. And I know you don't want to hear that. I know a lot of people are like, don't say that, don't say that, right? Nobody wants to hear that. That is the gospel. And people are going to be like, well, what about the person who said they did? And I'm like, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm going to teach you what truth is. I don't know every life circumstance, and I don't know the heart of every person who says that they've made those decisions. But for somebody who has truly made that decision, it says your name is written in the book of life. Never to be blotted out again. Your eternity is secure. No one in this world can condemn you. There is no more condemnation that comes from the Lord. If you're listening to condemnation of how you you're not good enough, it is coming from Satan and the world because it doesn't come from God because he didn't determine that you were good by what you've done. He determined by what Jesus has done. So you are good enough, not based upon your actions or what the world thinks, but based upon a decision that you made in Jesus Christ. Now that is exciting when you look at the gospel. So don't get caught up in this. Like if I say, if somebody's asking me, are you going to heaven if you die today? I'm like, absolutely, and I am a screw-up, and I do have sins, and you can point to all of my failures. I don't care. Jesus Christ gave me the ability to go to heaven, not the actions of my life, and I'm so thankful for those things. My destiny is secure, and so should yours when you believe in the true gospel. Okay. The last one is this. Um, the motivation to live out good works because we should still be motivated to live out and do good works. You know why we're motivated to do it? Because we're in relationship with the one who gave us that gift. If you really understand what that gift means, you should be motivated to live and to do good works, not because somebody is watching you, right? Not because somebody might see you, not because, like you should do it because you're in relationship with the one that saved you. All right, so the band's gonna work its way back up because Nichelle's gonna kill me. We're way over time. So as they're working up, we're gonna put these last two scriptures in that you can come back to. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become what? Righteous. How did we become righteous? Because he took on sin took on our sin, you're in right standing. Again, this is just a reiteration. Because of what he did and not what you did. Good? Okay, now we're going to end it with this scripture. This is Romans 3.19, Paul speaking into their lives when he says, 
Now that we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that, this is why the law or what he says about the law, every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So bringing it together. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So that's what we were talking about, remember? Right? Like, you don't become, the law is there, not so that you can get right by the law, but you can remember, like, you're like me. Right? That you're just like me. That you're just like everybody else in the world. We're all sinners. Right? That's what it's supposed to remind us of. But then he comes back and he says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. There's no difference between, you know, people when he says this, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And all, this is the key, and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came not through what you've done, but through Jesus Christ. Religion says do. Right? Do more. Behave more. You're never going to do enough. That's what religion is. You know what the gospel is? Done. Through the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ who loves you. And you know what he says? Think about this. This is what he's saying. He's not far. He's right here. If you reach, if you want, it is there, regardless of what the world's told you, whether you deserve it or not, it is there. So as we sing this last song, so I want you to consider, right? And you can honestly respond. You know, a lot of people ask us like, you know, are you going to have an altar call? <laughs> you know, I tell people like, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ and you're at that place, and you want to come up and you want, to, you want somebody to pray over you, you want somebody to go to the back with you, or if you want to do it where you're at. But do not wait because the time is short. Don't wait till, you know, maybe it's going to be the right time. If you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ, make that decision today. And if you want somebody to pray for you, come to the front. One of our elders, one of our staff members, people will come up here and pray with you uh, to help you through that decision. And as we sing this song, if you've already done that, be reminded. We're all sinners we fall short of the glory of God and it's only by his mercy and his grace that we can stand justified in front of God and there are people out there that need what you have we stand so I can pray for you suddenly so, fathers we sing this last song of praying that there are hearts out there that have been moved not by the message but by your word and the truth Lord that um, if they want to make that decision, that today they will make the decision to accept you as Lord and Savior based nothing upon what they've done, but understanding the truth of the gospel, that it's everything that you have done. And that they make that decision today. And Lord, I pray for all of us who have made that decision that we're reminded that because of the mercy and grace of you that we didn't get what we deserved, but we are getting, you know, the gift of salvation, gift of salvation through your grace and mercy. And because it was a gift, it's something I want to give back to you, Lord, and I also want to give to other people. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
what the mercy of God can do. If you knew me then, you believe me now. You turn my whole life upside down. You took the old and he made it new. That's what the Was embraced on what I've done, but it's 
that every time we go through this and truly look at what Scripture says, I'm so humbled by that thought, you know. I didn't get what I deserved. I still don't get what I deserved, you know, and that the cross that was meant for me, that he would be willing to carry it. Like, he would be willing to take on what I deserve. That's humbling. Uh, And I think for all of us today, it's something that we should never forget, the humbling experience of what Christ did for each one of us. And not forget it in a way that just makes us in awe and be thankful. But remember, don't forget this. There are people in this world that don't understand that. There are people in this world that are living without the hope of Christ. And not only we should be in awe of what we did, he did for us, but we should share it because it's for everyone. So thank you for being with us here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.